Hey everybody, Qui-Gon Tim here. Welcome to this very special episode of Echo Base. Uh, Tom and I had an opportunity to sit down and chat with, uh, once again, Amy Ratcliffe, who was with us just a few weeks ago, and uh, other authors, Mike Chen and Jason Fry. They were here with us, each talking about their stories, which are part of the recently released Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View book. This is an awesome book, like I said, recently released. Be sure to check this out and grab it either in hard copy or audiobook. The the hard copy is just like this great collection. And uh, Lou has said before that it's an awesome thing to like go to a con and you can get, uh, you know, autographs from all these different authors that are in there for all these stories. But the audiobook is also like crazy entertaining, really great voice actors, some terrific effects that they put in there for a little bit of extra context and flavor. And, uh, and, and they're a lot of fun. I ended up picking up both. So uh, Tom and I had a really good time talking to uh, Amy, Mike, and Jason. The interview does get a little spoilery. So uh, just kind of fair warning there. We did talk about their stories. Um, so if you haven't yet read the books, uh, just you know venture with that little bit of caution. Also, just a quick mention, this is going to the Random Chatter Network's bonus and premium membership first uh, for a few days before we release it out to the, uh, to the general public. So they are getting a chance to hear this before everybody else. Uh, just kind of one more membership perk that we are able to give to our members. So I uh, hope you all enjoy the interview. All right, Amy, Mike, Jason, thank you so much, guys, for joining us tonight. Uh, we are really excited to have you here talking about the Empire Strikes Back from a Certain Point of View book, uh, which is awesome. Uh, just the stories are fantastic. Uh, love the first book. And then this book is I'm even more excited about this book. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us, Linda. I think we're all pretty excited to keep talking about this, their stories for a while. Good, good. Yeah, I know you guys have, have had some opportunities to, to talk uh, already about this. This is going to be your best one. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Um, I have a lot of confidence. It's only because Tom is here. Hi, Tom. That's true. I'm here to save the day. So expect <laughs> all the most probing questions from this end. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so I think probably I, both because, you know, we, we would like you to, to say hi, but also because it's a podcast. And so while we can see you here on the video, uh, our listeners are only hearing you. So it's probably good to get like a little bit of, of voice to name recognition. So uh, if you guys could introduce yourselves, I think we'll start with the one that's probably the most obvious. And, and that's Amy. Welcome back. Amy. <laughs> I was going to say that's. Jason, no. Um, <laughs> hi, everyone. I'm Amy. Thank you both, uh, Tim and Tom, for having me back on the show. It's nice to it's nice to see familiar faces. Good, good. Mike. Hi, uh, I'm Mike Chen, um, and this is my voice. This is what I sound like. <laughs> I'm not Jason Fry. <laughs> and hey, I am Jason Fry, and it's uh, really nice, Tim and Tom, to see you again and to be on the show. And uh, nice to see my, my partners in the interview round, uh, Amy and Mike, who have become uh, excellent video friends uh, for a book we're all very excited about. Good, good. Very good. Uh, Tom, why don't you kick things off for us? Yeah, so I, I want to throw this out to the group. Uh, obviously, you guys, both as authors and as fans of Star Wars, experienced what it was like to have the the 
um, from a certain point of view book from A New Hope. I think that was exciting for everybody. What was it like to get the the call up from the dugout to to um, write for this for Empire Strikes Back and its 40th anniversary? Unexpected for me. Um, definitely a, a kind of um, like a did you mean to email me? I'm glad you did. Um, but it was intimidating. <laughs> but, you know, I enjoyed the first volume so much and I didn't anticipate getting to kind of contribute to Star Wars in this way. So I was pretty stoked. Cool. Mike, how about you? I um, This was a dream project for me because the, the type of sci-fi that I write tends to be very character-based. Like um, if you look at my books, they're very much like, you know, the, the, the focus is on the protagonist in like a slice of life type of situation. Mm. So when, when the first book came out, I told my agent, I'm like, this is, I need to get into something like this. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when, when he told me, that they that Lucasfilm was considering me for a project. I I was you know freaking out. But then the next call when he said it's you know the next certain point of view um, project, uh, I was like, okay, I I know I can do a really good job with this. Like this is what my whole life has been <laughs> has been culminating in, <laughs> both as a Star Wars fan as a and as a writer. That's awesome, and Mike. This is your first uh, venture into Star Wars, right? It is, yes. So, That's cool. yeah, this is this is, um, this is everything that little Mike wanted playing with his Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> well, your story is awesome, so I hope yeah. that they like ask you to come back again for more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason's like, I've written for these guys so many times. What 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 book am I writing now? I. <laughs> Oh, uh, it, uh, it it was funny because, I mean, I did have a story in the first uh, from a certain point of view uh, called Duty Roster. And but the funny thing is, you know, that was the first time for every author in that collection. And I thought all these stories were going to be kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were dead, like kind of really kind of oddball stories. And some of them were. Um, and so that's what I did. Like my story is basically an in joke that depends on how well do you know really obscure Star Wars actors. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I then realized to my terror took about three hundred words to tell the joke, and then I had to turn it into an actual story. But anyway, I thought it worked. <laughs> but when I read the book, I mean, there were stories that were kind of jokes, meta or otherwise, and they were great. But there were also these just kind of pure heart on the sleeve straightforward little bits of star Wars. And I was like, wow, it never occurred to me to do that. And so I was, um, I was immediately, I was excited when they were kind enough to call me back to be like, okay, I'm going to do something totally different from that story. And then try to figure out, you know, how to navigate that. Nice. Nice. Uh, actually, I, I think could, could we get like a little, synopsis from each of you of of what your stories are because we're going to be talking about them and so i think it's probably good context for for our listeners if they haven't yet read them i hope that they have uh, or listen to them uh for for that matter because the audiobook is is also awesome um yeah could you guys just kind of tell us a little bit about each of your stories uh jason we'll, we'll let you keep talking Sure. Uh, my story is called Rendezvous Point, and it's it's Wedge Antilles. He gets to the he Woo-hoo. goes off from Hoth. He shows up at the Rebel fleet, but then there's no Luke, and everyone's kind of waiting around trying to figure out what's happening. 
Um, but the fleet's location has been discovered by pirates who might sell them out, and Wedge gets called to do something, and he has to put a squadron together, which he is not ready for. He's not Luke Skywalker. There's no reason to think that Luke is dead, but he's needed. And so he has to navigate that and basically buy the Rebels' time. Sure. Mike? Uh, my story is called Disturbance, and it's about Emperor Palpatine, and there's only one scene that Emperor Palpatine is in. So this takes place, uh, I guess, between a day and right up to the moment that you see Palpatine on screen. So it's just a little dive into what our friend the Emperor is thinking about and seeing in the Force right before he decides to Zoom call Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it's an awesome dovetail into that scene. I I gotta say it was it was really cool. Thank you, uh, uh, Amy. My story is called Heroes of the Rebellion, and it's about a former journalist turned rebel propagandist who is on Hoth, and and kind of her general mission in the rebellion is to make recruitment hollows to get people to join the ranks. So she goes to Hoth expecting to interview the the big the big three. Luke, Leia, and Han to form them into these inspiring videos that everybody will want to join the rebellion for. And um, it's Hoth, so things don't go exactly <laughs> as she planned. I like that we now have not only in in print canon from stories like yours, but we've seen rebel propaganda in action like on screen now officially in, in The Mandalorian. So it's neat that that uh, that bridge from print to screen has been made. I wonder the the thing that stands out to me about the three of your stories is they are all very, very different, uh, different in tone, different in focus, yeah. different in the stories that they tell or that they aim to tell. How did, were you guys, uh, did you come to the table with those sorts of ideas? How was the creative process as you found, uh, what you'd be writing about? You start with Amy since she was just talking before. Yeah, of course. So, when I was approached to do this by Tom Delray, my wonderful, amazing editor, he knew, he kind of had an idea, like, let's, I think, you know, I, you'd be great at writing a rebel soldier. And we really kind of like, what about the first transport that leaves Hoth? We know that one, that, that ship gets away, we hear it announced. And what is the mood like? What's going on? How are people feeling? And so I knew it was going to be an original character. And that was kind of like the, you know, I just took it from there. And uh, somebody, as somebody who's always wanted to see more of journalism in Star Wars, and I just read Alphabet Squadron, or I was reading it actually at that time by Alexander Freed, and it mentions mm -hmm. hollows of Jyn Erso and Leia and how the Rebellion uses like the attack on the Death Star to like really fuel their ranks. I was just like, this seemed like a like a good path for a character I could create. And I'm just really excited. Like when I pitched it, that they weren't like, well, what if you didn't? Um, they were all red. Um, and, and the folks at Lucasfilm were really supportive and just kind of let me play and nice. make the power of making things up is pretty uh, addictive. Um, so that's kind of where I started with here's for the Rebe uh, other rebellion. The, the, the whole concept of Amy makes me think about, um, Starship Troopers. Is it okay that I mention another film on here? Don't cross the street. And and the the, the those propaganda things. Would, would you like to know more? Uh, like, yeah, it totally reminds me of that. Well, no, and that fits because I was partially inspired by by Crossing Streams, Battlestar Galactica, and the oh, episode yeah, where yeah. Deanna Beers 
you know, goes and, and films the Galactica to show the rest of the fleet what everybody does. And that was definitely something on my mind. Cool. Mike, how about you? So uh, when I saw the the list, like so Tom had sent me a short list because this was a rolling project and some some of the other characters had already been claimed. Um, I, I saw characters like the protocol droid that swears at C-3PO and like the technician <laughs> or some story around Admiral Ozzel. Like, so I was thinking like the technician who sits behind him while Ozzel gets choked out. <laughs> um, so Tom told me that I actually submitted five pitches. I didn't realize I did that many, but like Palpatine was on the list. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why hasn't anyone picked Palpatine? Like this, this is, you know, this is, if you're going to do it, do it. And then I started thinking like, okay, I, if I'm going to do it, then do it. But then I'm like, what do you even do? <laughs> you know, <with laughs> it was very frightening. Um, but it, it, I was driven by, by the sole selfish motivation that I may never get to write Star Wars again. So uh, if I want to get into Wikipedia somehow, it should be about Palpatine. <laughs> Rather go, than go big or go home. Troy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go big or go home. Um, so the, the story itself, like Tom didn't provide any sort of guidance. He just said Palpatine was available and try to come up with a pitch for it. And um, I rewatched, you know, the, the call between Vader and Palpatine and then looking at the crawl in Empire, like you already know, Vader already is looking for Luke. Like, so, so there's obviously some deception going on here. And then there's an idea of there's a disturbance in the force that Palpatine detects. Like, well, what is that? Like, we, we, whenever we've heard that quite a bit, but we don't really know what it is. Like, sometimes we know that it's like, you know, Order 66 and Yoda feels a disturbance and things like that. But what would it be? What would clue Palpatine off to, to Luke? Um, and so I just started to try to pull some threads together and it seemed to be kind of just naturally tying together plot lines that are already there in a little bit more explicit fashion. Nice. It dovetails so beautifully with the, uh, the star Wars and the, the first Darth Vader run of comics. I mean, you know, the uh, Tim mentioned this off the top, but I watched that brief 60 second scene now completely differently and that's the beauty of a story like this is it it just changes your perspective on a movie that we've seen you know hundreds of times mission accomplished <laughs> and i'm <laughs> you know i'm actually reading the the vader run like i've listened to dr afra shortly after i wrote it and i got a little bit of guidance from from the lucasfilm team and from tom because i'm like i don't know if i'm stepping on other media here um, so I just haven't had time to read the other stuff. And they, they gave a little bit of guidance, but I didn't have to change too much of my story. And then when I listened to Dr. Afra and like the very end of it, and now I'm reading the Vader comic cycle and I'm like, wow, this all really fits organically together. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah, for mine, um, it was um, actually one of my initial ideas was doing The Emperor. Um, but I was way too much of a chicken to like, put my head <laughs> and I'm now so glad I didn't because what Mike wrote was much cooler than anything I would have come up with. So I both didn't screw it up and got to, as a fan, enjoy that, which was amazing. Um, but I'd always been curious about the rebel rendezvous point And there was a, there's a certain amount of time. Nobody can agree on how much because star Wars that they're like waiting around for Luke and everybody. And, you know, what are they up to? Um, and also, again, having decided I wanted to do a story that kind of diametrically different from the one in the first go round, Wedge was a logical character, um, real Wedge this time, not fake Wedge. Uh, <laughs> um, 
so you put those two things together and then what what really made it all come together for me was I also I wanted to do I wanted to do kind of an homage to the the X-Wing books by uh, Mike Stackpole and um, Aaron Alston because I just I loved those books so much and I knew so many other people did and you know just those three things I was like oh there's a story there there's a story there that hopefully ticks all those boxes and you know is a tip of the cap but stands on its own and everything else and then you know, it's it, it's always good to get an idea on the table that you'd be happy to write, and then you actually have to execute it. And I got to tell you, Jason, it, it was it truly was like pure X Wing books with like the 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 fighter action, and then the 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 pranks that were involved in it. Um, your your pilot Aaron Polstack. I, I actually cheered out loud uh, when I came across that. I was like, "That's just fantastic!" Uh, that was that was really good. That was that was really good. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> mentioned Jason. That, like among the earliest of the Legends books I read, like I read Vector Prime. That happened to be my, be my very first one randomly, but shortly thereafter, I dug into the X Wing books and just fell in love. So your story was such a lovely callback to that, just like vibe of those stories and. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I would have. I, I was a page or two into your story, Jason, and I, like Amy, thought back to being twelve and reading those books that are still sitting on a shelf in front of me, uh, about ten feet away, and just losing myself in it. And this was like a visceral callback to that. It was. It was really neat. Um, speaking of the audio book, uh, I've. A friend got me onto Star Wars audiobooks uh, back in 2015, 2016, and I had, you know, no love for them just generally. I like didn't like being read to, but he said, no, 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 the, the production values, it's all different with this stuff. They do it. It's it's like you're listening to a movie and they they really cut no corners with with these stories. Um, I thought the narrators for each of your stories were absolutely perfect. Did you guys have any uh, any say in that? Was it a surprise when you got to know who who was reading your stories? So I will say that like Tom doesn't know this, but I almost emailed him at one point because I know Sam Whitworth, you know, he does the Emperor and, and, and Rebels and he did it on like the Force Unleashed. So I almost emailed Tom asking if that was even possible because I'm a really, really big fan of his like being human is one of my favorite shows of like the last 20 years. And, you know, the force unleashed and obviously loving him on rebels and the clone wars. And I thought like, there's, there's no way like he doesn't do audio books. And then when he, they announced him for the clone wars anthology, I thought like, Oh, maybe he will do this. I didn't, I didn't want to be like that nerdy of a fanboy to my editor. So like, I did not say anything until they announced the, the roster and I saw Sam Whitworth's name on there. And so then I emailed my editor. I'm like, Hey, this seems really logical. Is there any chance that he did my story? And Tom said, I think so, but I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) I was in limbo until maybe like two or three days before the book came out and the excerpt went up on on the uh, Penguin Random House SoundCloud. (laughs) I love how... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I I loved how he, he did it in... My editor said it sounds like Darth Maul reading Palpatine's diary. And yes. that's exactly like, the way <laughs> that's perfect description. Yeah. 
Well, Tim, do you want to uh, kind of dive into some some questions about the individual stories? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so, Amy, yours was the first uh, one that I uh, listened to. I, I did the audio book first. My hard copy, uh, Amazon told me this morning that it was on its way. And uh, I was really struck by a lot of the kind of the ambiguity, I guess, in, in Corwi from the beginning of the story to the end of the story and how it was so different, but it actually still came around full circle. So like, what was your thought process and kind of charting out how this story would go for her? Well, I definitely um, first want to give a shout out to Sunny Lanankani, who read the story, my story for the audiobook and audio like that it was going to be an audiobook is a thing that just didn't occur to me for some reason. I don't know. So when I got to hear like somebody reading my words, that's never happened before. And that was pretty surreal. But, you know, with Corby, I definitely, you know, we didn't know how like back, like far back we wanted the story to go. We knew we wanted, wanted it to end when that first transport gets away and with that tension and then, and then relief that they're saved. But I didn't just want the entire story to be only on Hoth. I wanted to kind of reach back. So, I mean, part of the ambiguity, if I'm being honest, is, you know, just trying to like figure out how much is appropriate to put in a short story, you know, kind of my first time writing fiction out in the world and and figuring out like how you kind of chart that in a few thousand words or whatever it was. And I know I ended up, I sat down to write and I'm like, this is really intimidating. Let's say a few thousand words is a lot. And I wrote way over that. And (laughs) I don't know how that happens, (laughs) Um, but I really wanted her to have an arc where she learned something where we got a little of her past and why she decided to become a propagandist and why that made sense for her and how she felt like she was contributing Um, and have like a, a realization about how everyday heroes, everyday soldiers, everyone in the rebellion is important and has valuable insight and stories. And it's not just about the names. Mm-hmm. And I think that's relatable to life, though not in the context of a galactic civil war. But I think it's important to recognize the power of everyone. And I wanted to take her on that journey and kind of do it through you know, a little bit of flashback with her history but also kind of have her realize it on the ground. So, you know, she's kind of a little young and naive and I think, I hope comes out of Hoth as a, as a more wise, um, certainly uh, more open-minded propagandist. Yeah. Yeah. Your character compared to Mike and Jason's story was the only person that we just don't see on the screen. She's brand new to us. And I wonder from a creative standpoint, did you find it more freeing or more challenging creating somebody like that from whole cloth with the kind of restrictions that you have on a short story? It, it was freeing. It was also it was both. That's my cheat answer. Um, because <laughs> of those challenges you mentioned, we don't know anything about her. And I so I did want to get some information on kind of who she was without trying to just dump it into um, a Wikipedia like entry in the story. So that was hard, but it was freeing. And then I could just, I could just make it up. I could kind of forge this path and make her what I wanted to be. And though I still had to weave around the events of the battle of Hoth and, and the characters that she crosses paths with, I could have her doing her own thing, uh, without having to worry about what, what the movie shows her doing. So it was freeing in that way. 
Cool. I love I, I want to gush for just a second because the the part of the story toward the end when she's on the transport and they're riding past the Star Destroyer, you put me there like you put me in the seat and it you see it so briefly on the screen. But being able to be in that like unarmed transport and get the view from somebody who's not a soldier was was really great. You did a fantastic job on that. I really appreciate that because that was a moment where I definitely like wanted to put her like because as a journalist in theory she would be very you know ob- observing her her surroundings and feeling everything and noting what others are feeling so that was my hope and I I am glad that worked for you <laughs> oh it totally did <clears throat> it totally did uh, Mike I'm gonna give you a chance to maybe maybe tell another story here in in in, in Star Wars and keep in mind this is these are approved questions, so they're actually okay with me asking you to make up completely new stuff. So, like, <laughs> this is impact, this is another book contract for you. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I mean, I mean, I guess kind of something a little speculative, since you had to get yourself you you, you got yourself in the mind of Palpatine, and to an extent, kind of in the mind of of Vader when you wrote your story kind of wondering here if if Vader and Palpatine had gotten to Luke first before Yoda before Obi-Wan do you think he would have do you think they could have kept him on the dark side or would he have still been drawn over to the light what what, what do you think his path would have been I think this might be a, a, a controversial opinion, and this is clearly not canon. <laughs> but I, I think I think it would be really easy to have turned Luke when he was younger and angry. I mean, like he's you know he's walking around Tatooine like kicking sand, like literally kicking sand in frustration, um, you know. And he he wants adventure, he wants excitement, and he does not want to listen to his elders. Um, he's bored and angry. Um, and, and he doesn't know why he's stuck on this this crappy sand planet. So you give that guy some adventure <laughs> and some power and then unlock his you know, force abilities and it'd be really, really easy to tap into his anger. I mean, like he, he's already angry on Dagobah. He's angry everywhere he goes. And even in Jedi, you know, he's like attacking Vader <laughs> with anger. So I don't think it would have been that hard. You catch him right after he's denied the ability to bring some power converters or get some power converters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Boom, totally different path. Power converters and it's like, you will want these. And then <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. the end. <laughs> Angsty what teenagers. Was it? I, I have to ask. Put them right over. What was it like getting into Palpatine's head? Because I, I'm trying to think in terms of uh, the canon material that's out there. This may be one of the deepest dives that we have from a first person's point of view and to, to the, the Palpatine's machinations. And what, what was that like uh, crafting that? So I did read a while ago the Darth Plagueis book, um, but I, I tried to ignore that because it's, uh, um, it, it's kind of like a different lifetime for Palpatine. Mm. Um, the main thing um, that I really try to go on is – the big key like the voice that i heard was in revenge of the sith when when anakin confronts him and he says you know the dark side like gives you focus it makes you stronger and the way that he enunciates that and and there's like a really clear like 
kind of evil but kind of true focus to it Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i tried to go for um with with that um the there are influences from matthew stover's revenge of the sith novelization i hope you two have read that or listened to that because it's it's fantastic And, and stover does a lot of stuff about the dark side he personifies the dark side and he talks about how it always wins. And then he talks about Anakin. Anakin's fear is personified as, uh, as like a dragon, like whispering to him. Mm. Um, and, and so like those kind of disembodied personifications of, of the, the force in different aspects. Like I really try to kind of focus on that and not Palpatine as a person, because I would think that even at this point, like even Palpatine, like in his head, He's not really a person. He's just kind of like an evil dark side being just trying to control everything. And I, I have to say, I'll have a gush moment here too. the the perspective that you offered as his vision sort of fully unfolds and he starts thinking uh, very condescendingly about Vader was just spot on, was just absolutely perfect. Vader is like always portrayed as this big bad that's uh in, you know relatively invincible and at the top of the heat but to see that sort of perspective from his master and what he really thinks of him i, I think was really really refreshing as i've been reading you know not just dr afro but also the vader comic and, and seeing how like how at odds the new media is portraying palpatine and vader i was really relieved that it, everything syncs up to that that's perfect yeah, because I figured, you know, Palpatine just, he's in his head, he's hes trying to manipulate everyone. And Vader is probably the easiest one to do that because he's really powerful, oh, yeah. but he's also really emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's never learned to tame that. So Palpatine sees like that clear advantage that, you know, he's got all these buttons that he can push on Vader and they're not the buttons on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason. So... You put particularly Wedge and and Wes Jansen into this position and they're having to pick a bunch of pilots, as as you said, when you talked about your story that like, hey, this was just suddenly thrown in their lap. Uh, You have this character, the Contessa. Uh, First of all, who in the world was she? What were you... Because, uh, like, you didn't really give her a lot of background or context. What were you thinking when you developed her? What was, I mean, you could have just simply used Mon Mothma, which you, you had in the story, but instead you chose to have this other character kind of, of well, push buttons. Uh, wh- why? Why? Because um, I'm a big dorky fan. Um, <laughs> the- the Contessa is is a, a Claudia Gray character from Lost Stars, who I just couldn't ah, get out of my head. She's only in there I very forgot about briefly, that. but she um, and she doesn't have a lot of backstory. And I was just super intrigued by her and thought I wanted a mentor for Wedge, and it wasn't going to be Mon Mothma because that's not quite what the story is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she fit the bill and I thought, oh, there's a character I'm really curious about. I mean, that's part of the fun of Star Wars is that, you know, all of us invent characters, but they, they don't belong to us. They're, they kind of go in the sandbox for anyone to pick up and, and play with. And the Contessa worked. And then I, um, I ran that by Claudia just out of kind of, you know, fellow author courtesy. 
uh, to see what she thought, but, you know, and, and enjoyed opening up her backstory a little bit in ways that are hopefully not, not hopefully that are intriguing, but, but not going too far. But, um, yeah, no, but there's a larger question there that I think is kind of interesting. Like when you, lots of times in crafting a story, you need a character to do X or play Y role. And who is that? And, with Star Wars, that can be interesting because you have this huge reservoir of characters you can draw on. And I always think about it that way. Like there's, there's on the one hand, there's excellent opportunities to go tap something, whether it's from Legends or whether it's from New Canon. But on the other hand, it has to work on the story, for the story above all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the Contessa was the immediate fit there. And the the added benefit was that was a character I I was like, Claudio, why did you stick with that character for like 20 pages? I was really intrigued. So (laughs) it really reminded me of the, the Leia Poe relationship from the last, the last Mm. Jedi. It it evoked that. Um, I think the biggest question that everybody that has read your story has is when can we buy a bottle of Tauntaun Musk? (laughs) Where can I get it? Yeah, I wrote the um, I wrote the scene about where Jansen's talking about how he got the musk. I wrote that fairly carefully. I was like, <laughs> this could get really squicky and people just bail out. But uh, but on the other hand, you want to be like, oh my god, seriously? So yeah, that was fun to do. <laughs> so it's it's actually a new product that's going to be sold at Galaxy's Edge, which is pretty awesome. Um, oh, that, you, know, <laughs> you can sit as close to me as you want. On, uh, on the Millennium Falcon ride. Uh, I, I, in, a, in a more serious bridge off of that question, the that Tauntaun must that that prank that Jansen sort of plays out or, or you know has in the hopper, and then uh, we also see Wedge kind of dealing with his own sense of loss from the battle. We don't see a whole lot of th- that sort of reflection from line pilots or soldiers really in any of the movies. Um, what was it like kind of tackling those two perspectives on how these characters that we've seen in various forms on screen deal with that sort of loss? Um, it's an interesting challenge, but the particular challenge of it was calibration. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Like, I didn't want to be blithe about that moment. Like, there's... Um, whether it's legends or new canon or even the movies, there's always been struck me as that there's a certain kind of sadness and heaviness about Wedge. Like he's basically a a professional killer and that's his job. And it's a job you never get the sense that it's sat very well with him. And you you can see that in the X-Wing books. You can see that in Aftermath. You can even see it, I think, in Return of the Jedi. Um, So I, I thought it was important to have that perspective but at the same time you know this this is star wars and it is flash gordon it is fun it is pew 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 and all the stuff we love and i went back to something that ryan johnson taught me uh for the last jedi novelization that's become kind of a commandment for me in all my fiction and he's he described it as lift not drag he was like there's a lot of really weighty stuff in the last jedi and big fateful events but he always wanted to make sure that the the person in the audience was only a couple of minutes away from really kind of light Star Wars style fun. And I, I took that to heart for everything and tried to do that here. So, yeah, we have some serious reflections on war, et cetera. But, you know, in another minute, we're going to have 
Jansen bouncing off Wedge and, you know, bantering and having fun. When it, it, you bring it full circle because he plays the prank out. It's sort of, it goes from this, uh, you know, speaking from personal experience, this real visceral real world moment where somebody that you love and care for and serve beside just is gone uh, all of a sudden. And, you know, how do you deal with that? But I thought you, you played it perfectly bringing it full circle like that. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the piece about, you know, at, at his core wedge is a killer. You also have a character in this story who is not sort of Mm. diametrically opposed in, uh, in viewpoints to that sort of thing. And, uh, why the decision to explore that that aspect of that character? Uh, is that Scylla? You mean? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. The um, the freighter pilot, the transport pilot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Transport Part pilot. of it was the fun of of teeing up that story to also almost be a Return of the Jedi story. Like you see a lot of those, you see some of those pilots even with the same call signs in Jedi, um, which you know helps lend some weight to the story of the squadron because you oh they must have done okay. Um, Kind of like the Contessa, that was a character I was just really intrigued by, who hadn't been kind of really explored a whole lot. There's something kind of endearing about that character, and I don't, it's just the secret sauce of Star Wars. Like, it's it's George's lived-in universe. Like, every character, every ship, every setting, like, comes with this story that you just really want to know and dive into. So it's just, it's a great privilege as an author, but also, you know, as a fan to get to you know, to get to kind of take your authorial flashlight and go peek around in there. <laughs> I had her card in the old Star Wars uh, customizable card game. And so it was uh, it was awesome to see her back in action. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Amy, I'm going to bounce back to you for one here. Um, of Of the three of you, you're the only one who did a story that occurred during like an actual part of the movie um the stuff that jason and mike did were kind of these these interludes between the scenes that we didn't see in the movie that were still going on but yours was something that was in the midst of of this and it did you have any consideration um, basically otherwise of, of doing something that we hadn't seen before, or was this kind of always your vision to stick with what we had on the screen, but just basically pull someone out of that and, and tell their story within it? It wasn't like exactly my intention to be like, I want to like dig into what we see in the battle of Hoth, but just by virtue of, of Corey wanting to talk to Han, Luke, and Leia, like she's going to run into points that are established on the timeline. And, um, yeah, you know, something I've watched Empire Strikes Back, like, goodness knows how many times. And I just, in my head, just thought the Battle of Hoth was so long. Um, and then I put it on. So, you know, I rewatched just those scenes just for the short story and realized, like, this is over in two seconds. And, I need to be very careful about timing. Like, okay, we're from here. They're safe. Opla is giving this briefing. The empire's here. Um, and it's just very fast paced. And I had to be yeah. very mindful of pacing my story in such a way that it made sense. Because once you, once you're in it, you have to like, what's on the screen is canon and you need to be, I mean, the whole universe current, still, current storytelling universe right now is canon, but you just have to be very careful of, 
playing within um, those guidelines and not suddenly giving on a whole other scene uh, yeah. that doesn't make sense, for example. So you, you captured the chaos of it so well um, of just the confusion and people running around and Corwy thinking she had a lead on something, but no, because now all of a sudden there's this, this dumb invasion and she's so rude. Yeah. And all right. So she's going to go talk to a pilot, but uh, the pilots are getting in their ships. What are we going to do? And then, you know, some angsty pilot is like, why are you even here? Uh, and, and then, that's kind of like her that's her moment where like the clouds opened up and the sun shone through and she realized like wow everybody here is a hero everybody has a role like everybody like i kind of wanted to establish that that even though you know that that battle is quick and things go go fast that even at the rebellion scrappy as they are they have some organization to them and they have plans and they are capable of clearly leaping into action in, in some kind of um, military-esque fashion. And it was important for Corwee to see that and be like, yes, everybody's like ready. They're here on this frozen hunk of rock, um, not the most glamorous setting, and just ready to throw down and put down their lives for the sake of the galaxy. And I think that is exactly my intention, that she just kind of like just saw it for the first time. Was there ever a temptation as you were kind of planning this story out to go with to, to have her kind of take a different path and have an interaction with one of those main characters to, to sort of get something, you know, along the lines of what she set out to look for? Well, I kind of did initially want to have a bit because she does talk to Han in typical Han fashion. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I'm. <laughs> I mean, and, and from the outside looking in, like Han is not anybody uh, a PR, a public relations firm would take on as right. a client. They wouldn't. <laughs> um, so I, I love I that Han referred her to Chewie. Yes. And that was kind of, I did actually want to work in a scene with Chewie because I think Chewie would actually be very thoughtful and yeah. could give some great answers because he's just not as gruff and sarcastic. And I think he genuinely believes a little sooner than Han does. Um, so I did have a moment where I wanted her to actually interview Chewie, but just for timing's sake, it did not, did not quite work out. You'd probably get the bonus in that interview. It would end with a big Wookiee hug, which is, you know, would be the highlight of her career. It's I'm always, sure. it's yeah. the best part of, um, well, it's the best part of going to Disneyland, but when you get to visit <laughs> Chewbacca for the photo yes. op and you get the Wookiee hug, there's nothing like it. So good. Do I have to pay for this? fantastic um well gosh uh so mike jason amy anything else uh you guys want to say before we before we wrap up please have me back (laughs) (laughs) We, we will have you back both on this show and we will encourage uh lucasfilm to to keep you know, employing you to crank out books. And that goes for all of you. That goes for for all three of you, certainly. Yeah, I just, I'd add, um, you know, this book is such a treat. I hope hope fans love it the way I think all three of us have loved being part of it. I love all the stories and it's, you know, it's attracted so many fantastic new authors to the galaxy far, far away to join our merry caravan of misfits. But, um, you know, we'd also be remiss if we didn't, mentioned that, you know, none of us got paid for this. We all, um, 
you know, gave that up right. uh, to make a contribution to First Book, which is really, really an amazing charity mm-hmm. um, that, you know, brings books to, um, you know, to disadvantaged kids who may otherwise not have them. And it's just, it's such a good cause. And when I think about how important books have been to me and how lucky I was to, you know, have folks who were basically like, yeah, if you want to read within reason, like we'll get you that you can read it. Um, you know, it, it makes it, it's already super fun and that makes it even more rewarding to be able to support that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jason, thank you for, for bringing first book up. Uh, of course, people can find out more about first book going to firstbook.org. Uh, you can donate directly there, but then also, um, I, I believe some measure of, of the sales of, of this goes to uh, First Book, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, thank you for for you guys uh, for donating your time and talent to this book um, and certainly for uh, contributing your time with us. Uh, Tom, anything before we close out here, buddy? No, I'm ready to go read all of these stories again and then watch Empire <laughs> Strikes Back late into the night this is the way <laughs> very good uh anything you guys want to plug i i'm always happy to give a chance uh, about that if there's anything you're working on or you just want to plug social media or websites or anything like that uh where people can find out more about you and your work yeah i'll plug thank you um <laughs> Folks can find me on Twitter at Amy underscore geek. You can get my details like on my projects at amyratcliffe.com. I had a couple other Star Wars things come out this month, The Jedi Mind and Ellie and Me. So please check those out. Thank you. A couple. <laughs> she has like a book coming out each day. It's like an advent calendar, kind of. Yeah. It's <laughs> open up the tab again. Oh, that sounds exhausting for everyone involved, including the advent calendar. <laughs> So uh, I am online, mostly on Twitter, at Mike Chen Writer. You have to include Writer in there because there's Mike Chen, the food, the YouTube food guy, who's got like millions <laughs> of followers, and he's not me, even though I've gotten his fan mail before. <laughs> um, I have a, a non-Star Wars book coming out in January called We Could Be Heroes, which is a kind of sarcastic buddy comedy between a superhero and a supervillain. Um, and I pop up on geek media from time to time writing about Star Wars and Star Trek. And shout out to Amy, who approved my pitch to write about um, when we showed my six-year-old daughter the machete order for Star Wars. Um, and I documented that, and that's actually up on Nerdist.com, so you can search for that. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I, I am around geekdom, and uh, I have more stuff coming out. Uh, I'm Jason C. Fry on Twitter. I'm not Jason Fry, though he is a... a a windows programmer in the K who is better looking than I am and nicer and knows a lot about star Wars. So follow him too, but also does he get fan mail that comes to your conversations back and forth about star Wars, which has got to, I'm like, people are, have got to be getting dizzy if they're watching this. (laughs) That's hilarious. But uh, yeah, it really is. What, what a world that we live in. Um, I, I have a, a project um, we are doing a new incarnation of the Clone Wars character encyclopedia for DK, which I'm really excited about because um, that book was just such a blast. And now to be able to look back at all those seasons um, and dig into these marvelous characters has been a real treat. Um, and I'm working on the fourth Jupiter Pirates book, which, you know, I, I won't tell you when, but hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Awesome. Fantastic. Amy, 
Mike, Jason, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your time. Uh, your stories are fantastic. Folks, please go out and get Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. You will not regret it. Uh, the stories are awesome. So that's it. Thank you.